I'm Harry Glurkian, and this is Moneyball Medicine, the interview podcast where we meet researchers, entrepreneurs, and physicians who are using the power of data to improve patient health and make healthcare delivery more efficient. You can think of each episode as a new chapter in the never-ending audio version of my 2017 book, Moneyball Medicine, Thriving in the New Data-Driven Healthcare Market. If you like the show, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. We talk a lot on the show about advanced computer science techniques like neural networks, computer vision, and machine learning, and how they're changing the way healthcare providers can find patterns in genomic data or radiology images. But the fact is, these same techniques are being used to generate new kinds of actionable insights in many other areas. And today, I thought it would be a fun exercise to take a field trip, literally, into farming and agriculture. Just like doctors, today's farmers are almost overwhelmed by the volume of imaging that's now available to them. In the clinic, these images come from MRI machines and other types of scanners. On the farm, they come from drones, airborne cameras, and satellites. And in both cases, If you can use AI techniques to spot patterns and trends in the images, you're then in a position to address problems before they get out of hand. We're about to meet two executives from Intellinair, an ag tech startup that offers a so-called crop intelligence platform called AgMRI. It consists of customized computer vision and deep learning algorithms that sift through terabytes of aerial imaging to help farmers identify problems that can be hard to spot from the ground. We're talking about things like weed infestations, nutrient or water deficiencies, weather damage, insect damage, fungal damage, and poor tillage or drainage patterns. The company flies over clients' fields up to 13 times per season, which means they can provide a picture of the evolving health of the crops in those fields. Ultimately, the goal is to help farmers increase yields while making smarter use of fertilizers and pesticides which sounds like keeping patients healthier while making smarter use of pharmaceuticals. But as we'll hear, the flood of new data that's available to farmers is even bigger in some ways than that available to doctors. So it won't be surprising to me if ag tech companies end up having a thing or two to teach the digital health industry. Let's meet Intellinair's co-founder, CEO, Al Asayan, and its director of machine learning, Jennifer Hobbs. Al, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. No, it's great to have you guys on the show. And I know that I'm sort of slightly stepping out of the bounds of what is what would be looked at as as traditional healthcare, but I thought this episode would be really interesting to go into from from two sides. One is obviously you guys are in the agricultural space and agriculture is is as far as I'm concerned paramount to health. As a matter of fact, it's probably a better way to keep people healthy if they just ate better. Um, and the other side of it is the image analytics. Um, I've always looked at the technology doesn't necessarily care what it ingests. It has the ability to see all sorts of features and whether that's a, a crop or a insect or a image on a radiology scan or, you know, a pathology slide. I think the technology can blur where it is and and how it's applied. But before we get started with that, is you know, 
Al, you know, tell us the origin story. Like, how did Intellinair get started? How did, how did you end up doing this? Sure. Uh, it's, it's an interesting story because I was invited to uh, talk to a lot of PhDs and um, graduate students uh, about entrepreneurship back in 2014. Uh, so I was invited to go to UIUC and give a talk. And so I did. And uh, as you know, you, I landed in Chicago and then you drive through three hours of <laughs> corn and soybean fields. And, and uh, it was interesting. You know, I, I was like, I didn't think much of it. But uh, during, the, uh, during the few days that I was at UIUC, they took me through all the you know, very impressive uh, buildings and very impressive uh, labs that they had. So I, I had no idea that, you know, Ray Ozzie went there. I had no idea that, uh, you know, Andreessen graduated from, Mark Andreessen graduated from there. And so there were, there was all these buildings uh, um, that I was looking at. And then they took me to the, um, to the ag uh, department. So I found out very quickly that there's, uh, that UIUC was an ep- one of the epicenters of data science. I, Fei-Fei Li uh, went there. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, so that this whole stuff with deep, you know, deep learning and ImageNet and all that stuff actually had its origin there. And then it, you know, it went to Princeton and then to Stanford. So <clears throat> I, knew, I knew nothing about agriculture, uh, but uh, I, had, I had just recently sold my company and I was thinking like, where do I spend the next decade of my life or more? Um, and I wanted, I wanted to do something that had global impact. And I've been a little bit of a sustainability nerd for a long time. And, and, I, and I sort of put two and two together. After about a year of doing research, um, uh, I said, yeah, this is an area that I can bring my passion for big data and data analytics and agriculture and, and try to make something that uh, would be more than just uh, about making money. And, uh, and then, so that's, that's how Intellinair was born. My co-founder is a professor at UIUC, is a very storied uh, professor, Professor Hoakimian. And, um, and so we kind of put our heads together and we said, all right, this is what we, what, what we can do. And then, so when you look at the, even the name, Intellinair, it stands for Intelligence in Air. So it's really around observation, it's really about, um, you know, if you want to improve anything, you have to measure it. You have to measure it frequently and you have to validate that measurement and, and then actually put uh, science to work. So that's the origin story of, uh, of Intellinair. So what, at the highest level, what's the value proposition here? Are we, are, we, are we trying to make farming more efficient, more sustainable, more productive, all of the above? I mean... How are you guys thinking about this? Yeah, so, and then, and then I'm big on names that kind of actually describe what, what we do. So the name of the product and the service is called AgMRI. So a lot of analogs from healthcare, right? So Ag stands for agriculture and MRI, the way we describe it is measurable, reliable intelligence. So if you can, if you can agree with, to the thesis that if you want to improve something, you have to frequently measure and see what the behavior of that thing that you're trying to improve uh, is observed properly, accurately, and then you put, you know, the the types of 
the, you make the types of decisions that allows you to in, introduce and make those improvements. So uh, at the highest level, it's, it's a comprehensive crop performance intelligence platform. And when I say comprehensive, I mean full scope and I mean full season. So when I say full scope, it's everything. It's not just imagery. It's soil information. It's weather information. It's everything that is, everything that is absolutely essential for growing crops. It's the farmer practices. It's getting the IoT information off the equipment. It's all of those things combined. It's sort of what we call there is our gigantic data ingestion sort of challenge, right? Because we're talking about petabytes of data. Right. And so the value proposition really is around is, you know, timely, uh, actionable insights that allows not only the farmer, but the whole ecosystem of farming to benefit and make better decisions. So it's, it's, it's something that, uh, that provides value to the entire value chain. So what is the special sauce of this? What can you do with high resolution field images that, that no one else can do? Or what is the computer vision? And I feel like Jennifer's about to jump in here any second now and tell me like, uh, but what is that special sauce that you guys have brought to the table? Because I have a feeling here there's multiple layers of information that are getting stacked on top of each other to sort of, I want to say, tell a story of what's happening. Tell me how you guys would describe this. And remember, there, there, there are probably no farmers that are listening to this podcast. So if you could sort of put it into context, because at some point I, I can almost see that these this approach has a superimposition onto different parts of healthcare when we look at it. Sure. Jennifer, you want to take the lead? Sure. I mean, as necessary. Yeah, absolutely. So much like healthcare, um, our data is truly huge. A lot of people talk about big data, but our data really is big and it's big in a lot of different ways. So, you know, as Al mentioned, we have lots of different channels, right? We have RGB, we have near infrared. We also have things like thermal, uh, we have the soil information, we have uh, the topo maps, we have all of the, this information that we can incorporate into, into the models. Then additionally, we have it at high res. So there's a lot of things, you know, a lot of, a lot of work in computer vision and agriculture in the past has been limited to publicly available, low resolution satellite data. And it's great that it's out there and it's free and it, you know, covers lots of different areas, but there's only so much you can see at that resolution. We're at the res resolution we're at, we're able to see the crops emerge weeks before you can see it in satellite. You can see the different stressors uh, within the fields. You can see individual weeds and weed clusters. And that really, that level of, of size makes it, you know, makes the data richer, allows us to do uh, earlier and better prediction across all of the, the different tasks that we're interested in. Um, and then because we fly, you know, around 13 times a season, we have a continually evolving view of the field. So from a single snapshot at any point in time, you can do prediction decently well. It's pretty hard to do prediction, but with this temporal element, now all of a sudden you have that story, you have that evolving health of the field. And we can do, by using multiple flights, we can do both better detection as well as better prediction. And that's very exciting. So it's it's big data on a lot of different fronts. 
And because we have so much of it, we can then turn around and use a lot of the uh, deep learning methods out there that help us you know, deliver these, these models across a you know, variety of tasks, variety of different lighting conditions, domains, and really scale up quickly and, and address the, the issues that are most pressing to the farmers. So just to, and just to give you an indication on, re, on, on scale, when we talk about resolution, you know, the free satellite is like 10 meters by 10 meter squares. We're talking about eight to 10 centimeter squares. So yeah, like you can you can actually see the bug on the leaf is is if I have to guess. Not quite. Not quite. We need to get down to like uh, maybe a couple of centimeters to see the bug on the leaf, but but we can see a lot at eight to ten centimeters, and 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 that's not far away, right? I mean the the couple of centimeters is on at scale. You can do it with drones today, right? The big question is again the volume of data, because every right. time you come down, you know, it it just it just explodes. <laughs> <laughs> so every one of these companies out there is, is tr obviously trying to convince it was funny because i was reading I, I haven't gotten through it but a technology review piece that was just written about ag tech but everybody's trying to convince you need our technology because it improves yield or some other aspect and so how do you what's the pitch and how do you win a farmer's trust right to to be part of this process that they're doing you know i think i think again back to how uh the company was built i mean way before we decided to like really focus on just uh the ag sector i personally had you know i visited like 100 farmers and then my team has probably visited hundreds of farmers um, a lot of those visits were actually in their in their farms uh, and then a lot more was done at like these shows, you know, Farm Progress and other shows that we, we would just engage people in conversation and ask them, ask them what, what are the issues that they're having and how does, you know, how does, how do they, how do their days work? And we had a lot of ride-alongs, like literally we lived, we lived with farmers, just trying to understand what are the, what are the, it's not, it's not just technology for technology's sake. Is it, you know, in our, in our case was the question was, is it going to be used? Right? Is it going to be right. used? And and farmers basically were not interested in just getting a bunch of images. Right? They were like, just tell me what my problems are. Tell me soon enough that I can go address it. Uh, and if you do that, then then we'll engage. So initially, the first couple of years, we were just just iterating with the farmers, like directly with the farmers. The last couple of years, what we've done is, you know, obviously we think that we're kind of getting closer and closer. I think we are there now where this technology can be distributed by through our partners. So uh, large companies that have tens of thousands of farmers that, that they, can, they can serve with, with our technology. Um, so the go-to-market go with, uh, with farming is, is, is quite a challenge. And that's one, one thing that I completely, completely underestimated. I thought farming was simple. Farming <laughs> is really, really complex. <laughs> You know, I, I was like, I was like, uh, this is my fifth company I've started in two, in two decades, and I can say, by probably an order of magnitude, this has been the hardest, because there's so many elements, especially outdoor farming. I think indoor farming, vertical farming, there's a lot of the elements that you can control. So indoor farming is a lot simpler, and you know, if I were to 
uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but if I were to start it all over again, <laughs> I would go after indoor farming. I wouldn't do outdoor farming, but uh, the, my, my love of uh, sustainability and the planet and stuff like that would still pull me to the, to the outdoor, you know, broad acre. I, I, stuff, so. I'll be honest with you. The first time I went, and this was a long time ago, the first time I went to Epcot Center and I went through the, their hydroponic uh, area and sustainable farming and then the aquaponic uh, area. And I was like, I really want to start a business like that. And I swear to you, every time I see an article, I just, I get sucked into it because I think this is going to be the next big opportunity. Uh, although making money there is really hard. Exactly. Um, that's because you don't know all the details. Once you, <laughs> that, that's, that's the curse of entrepreneurship. It looks really good. And we're like, oh my God, you know, you see dollar signs and you see, uh, you know, you see like your name in the headlines and, but then you get engaged and oh my God, it's like a can of worm after can of worm after can uh, of worm. I, I know it, Al. I mean, every, every, it's funny because every time I get involved in something, I, I don't know every detail and then, but once you're in it, you got to get out of it. And so that's, you, you got, you got to dig your way out of the hole, no matter what, right? Otherwise it fails and that's not acceptable. Um, so Jennifer, when you guys are doing this stuff, how much of this are you having to, you know, I keep thinking about my world right, where we have images, we have classification of those images or diagnosis of those. And then we train the system over and over and over again. And the bigger the data sets, the better you guys are working not just with one image, but multi-spectral levels of imagery. And so how are you uh, approaching this from, I guess, the machine learning perspective? Or I don't even know all the techniques that you guys are using, but are you taking stuff that's off the shelf? Are you having to design it from scratch? Is there some, obviously, some combination? But walk, walk us through how, how you look at that area and where you see that technology going next. Sure. Well, we do we do a little bit of both. And um, in, in truth, there's a, the medical imaging space is probably the space that is most similar to what we're doing in far as like techniques use because of the size of each individual images, the number of images. Um, so uh, we, we do steal a lot from the cutting edge work that's, that's being done in, in the medical imaging space. Um, but one of the things I've always, when, when doing sort of R&D in um, uh, an academic set, uh, in an industrial setting, so where I, I did my PhD in, in physics, um, so I, I have an academic background, um, but when we're doing R&D, you know, for in an industrial setting, there's, I still believe, um, I sort of, I believe you can do the research in sort of a, an iterative, agile-like fashion. So a lot of times we will take um, what, you know, essentially a, you know, baseline model or whatever is sort of standard in the field. What's the, what's the simplest thing that we think can work that's going to get us some initial results? Um, and we'll try it and we'll see how it works. And then we can decide how to go from there. So, you know, again, if we're talking about a, a detection or segmentation task, if I take one image and I do the simplest thing possible, which is just maybe stack all of the channels together, how well do I do? And then when I start to look at the failure cases, uh, I can sort of start to see, well, is it, is, are the mistakes that it's missing, would it do better if, if I could give it more, more historical information? Okay, well, if I want to fuse the temporal element, how do I... Uh, how might I construct the uh, network so that I can bring in this this 
you know, additional right. temporal time element. Sometimes we can do it as simple as just almost stacking more images. Sometimes you need something um, temporal in nature, like a RNN, LSTM type approach. Um, in this uh, work that we did that was just accepted at AAAI, uh, we used a convolutional, we used a unit to sort of get the, the features and then a convolutional LSTM to incorporate the temporal element. Um, other times, maybe it's not so much the temporal element, it's I need to get more context. I need to see more of the field with a single glance. So we can use some of the dilated convolution techniques out there. So a lot of it is sort of starting, starting simple, seeing what works, seeing where things are still lacking, and then identifying the different routes, different ways where we can fuse more information uh, into the system more and more and more until we kind of get to a level that we're happy with. So I'm trying to get again to the secret sauce. So is, is the image gathering part process becoming sort of commoditized if, you know, over time is by the drone technology or, or different methodologies of capturing that? Or is there, is there uniqueness in the capture part or is the uniqueness in the data analytics side of it? I think it's both. I mean, the, the imagery itself, um, I think we're, you know, currently like one of our, our strengths is, is the temporal element, but, you know, assuming you have the data, um, a, a lot of times with, with, you know, data science and, and machine learning, uh, a lot of the, a lot of times the secret sauce is actually asking the right question, um, is knowing what it is you're looking for or what problem you're actually trying to solve. Um, sometimes we can get, uh, it, it's easy to get kind of caught up and say, well, I want to do everything all at once or I want to detect this. And maybe you actually don't care about detecting this. What you really want is to solve a downstream process. And so um, a lot of times it's still understanding understanding what the farmer needs, what they want, what his you know, end acceptance criteria might be, um, and then and then going after that. Because in truth, um, you know, for, for somebody, let's say in an academic lab, you'd never want to say, well, I actually don't care if my model is not 100% perfect. I want the best outcome possible. And certainly we do, but we also have to look at it in terms of, well, what's performance versus cost, performance versus time. If I can make a model that runs, you know, three times faster, and is only 2%, you know, lower in performance, well, now the cost is, is a lot less. And so there's that business criteria kind of on top of the actual machine learning. And so I think a lot of that understanding how this is gonna be used, how this is gonna deliver value to the customer uh, is also is one of the things that we do really well. Yeah. So as far as, as far as the capture side, yeah, we've, we've been the main culprit of commoditizing it over the last five years. Uh, I was on a panel, I think five years ago, and I said, you know what? I should be paying a penny per acre per capture. And this is when people were charging $4 an acre for one capture. And, I, and that was a 28 centimeter resolution and I wanted it at like five centimeter resolution. We didn't quite get to five centimeter resolution and we didn't quite get to a penny per acre per capture, but we're pretty damn close. And I think we're gonna get closer over the next, next three, four, five years. Um, so the more we can automate the capture, so right now the vast majority of our captures is through manned airplane mm -hmm. with very, very high powered expensive sensors in the belly of the airplane. Like these are not your Canon cameras, you know, hanging out the you know, window, right? <laughs> these, are, these are like quarter million dollar sensors that, you know, you can fly 120 knots 
cover 150,000 acres a day and capture at eight at eight to ten centimeter resolution pretty accurately, right? This is this is that level of it's almost like I think it was probably five years ago. It was military technology now it's commercial, and we're hoping that more military technology <laughs> will become more commercial. Yeah. So I think that's commoditizing, and then I think two years ago, October, the U.S. government relaxed satellite imagery uh, for commercial applications from 50 centimeters per pixel to 25 centimeters per pixel. So you can see that from a standpoint of purely ground spatial resolution, um, that is happening, right? I mean, our government probably has technology at five centimeters, 10 centimeters resolution today, but not open for commercial. Right. That's gonna change over the next three to five years. I'm willing to bet good money on that, that it will. Um, so now if you can, you still have the thermal problem, especially for the agriculture sector. Uh, but imagine that you have satellite imagery at five centimeter ground resolution. That, that becomes pretty powerful, right? And then as far as commoditization, that data should be, I hope, should continue to come down in pricing so that it's available and it's ubiquitous. Um, and then, so then back to your question of what is the real differentiator and secret sauce? It's the analysis, it's, it's the AI. That's one, that's one area that is gonna continue to be a bottleneck and continue to be more of a bottleneck in agriculture because the vast majority of um, data scientists and machine learning PhDs are not smart enough yet as, as Jennifer is to actually go to agriculture. Everybody's doing this. <laughs> yeah, we have a, we have an overabundance of people that are doing uh, self-driving cars. Overabundance of people that want to go into the healthcare field. But you know, we have you know the really smart people that come to agriculture, like Jennifer. So. Well, I can tell you, like we definitely don't have enough people that go to healthcare. I, I can I can attest to that. I mean, I, I keep trying to lure people and say, forget this whole Facebook bub junk. What are you going to do there? Like, come to healthcare so that you can change people's lives. Um, the one thing I'll say, the difference, you know, with one, a lot of things that we have in common with healthcare, um, you know, but one of the differences is the available, just the scope of the data. So the data itself is large, but right, we collect all of this raw data. Uh, but what really gives it value is when we can extract information out it out of it through these different models. And certainly, to get started, at least, you need annotations. And you need good ground truthing and annotations. And that's another thing where we have you know, people skilled in that area who can you know, generate these annotations for us. But I think one of the exciting areas in this field um, and really an area that's sort of hamstringing the you know, CV and ag uh, you know, community out there is you know, if we have petabytes of unlabeled data and only you know, gigabytes of annotations, how do, we, how do we narrow that gap? How do we use all of the unannotated data out there? Because uh, in truth, we're never gonna annotate all of it. You know, there's, there's, you can't annotate the entire world every single day. So right. we need to use what we have to also further maximize the, uh, the unlabeled data that's out there. And I think that's a really exciting area that, that we're excited to go after. And I think will be a, a real game changer on this front as well. Because I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously thinking on my feet here, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, but okay, in our world, like I can, for the most part, my 
predictive power, I mean, it's getting better and better over time, but I don't have as many elements per se affecting like the weather, the water, the tractor that came, the, you mean, there's a lot of things that you guys are trying to uh, adapt for. So it's sort of exciting. Like if you guys actually figure out how to take all these inputs and really predict better, I, I, I almost want to say like, I want that prediction model and start to think about superimposing it into my world because we don't, ha- I don't think we have as many very, somebody on this. So I know somebody's going to make a comment that listens to this. And go, Harry, you, you don't know what you're talking But I do believe that you guys are dealing with things, much, much, many more unknowns per se than maybe we are in the healthcare world. So how well is the predictive nature of what you're doing to let someone know something before it happens? Or say, hi, go, you may want to go and look over here. Or by the way, historically, we've noticed that if you do this, you get a better outcome. Are you guys at that level of being able to make those recommendations to farmers? Yeah, that was a really exciting um, kind of result that came out of uh, Sapa. She was a PhD intern with us last summer. This work that that was accepted at AAAI that she did. So uh, we were doing you know nutrient deficiency detection from the air, you know from the air. Can we find areas that are under stress? And this is really important because once stress sets in, you can't you can't fix it. You can just sort of stop it. So you want to know, you know, as soon as possible that this area is lacking nutrients. So you can go out and spray. Uh, at the same time, it has an environmental element to it because, uh, it, you know, the more targeted and precise you could apply the chemicals, the you know the less excess chemicals ends up in the water table, uh, for example. So, you know, if we can one, we want to detect it, but let's say detection for this task with with our data, uh, you you can try a bunch of different things, and it you know hovers around an IOU score of, um, let's say you know 0.4, depending on you know kind of where and what time of the season. Um, and we did a lot of things from a single image, and uh, it was hard to kind of get it, get it above that. When we started including the temporal element, what, what if we include the previous two flights? All of a sudden, that IOU for detection shot up to, I believe, close to 0.6. Uh, and so then our next immediate question was, well, if I can now detect really well, what if I, can I, can I anticipate this one, two flights out? And we saw that again, using this flight over flight information, we were able to predict these, these regions of stress two, two flights into the future better than we were able to detect from a single image initially. So sort of seeing how the field is changing week over week gives the model enough information to say, not only is it here, but this is where it's going. Uh, and that's you know, extremely powerful and has a lot of, lot of value to, to the farmers. So it's similar to now I forgot her name, but she's over here at MIT where she's taken historical MR images uh, and, and been able to find features that predict a tumor advancing into the future before a human being can actually really see those features. And so that I guess that's my next question is, what does the system see that a human can't see? I'm sure it's a lot, but work with me here. The, the answer right now today is we don't know, uh, right? That's sort of the, the trust of these deep learning models, um, unlike, you know, the past machine learning models where they were based on, you know, handcrafted features and you could say, oh, it made this decision because of these features. 
Um, there's a lot of things we can do to try to understand what the what the model is looking at, uh, but it's not as it's not as straightforward in the past. So interpretability is obviously a huge area uh, of the machine learning community right now, and I think we'll uh, continue to to grow because people want to know, you know, what is it what is it looking at, what is it seeing, um, and there are some you know additional things we can do. I think in our field, kind of kind of like medical as well, where you say, well, I don't. In addition to knowing what the model is looking at, I want to know. I actually want to know causal effects, and then that's a whole another area as well. That's uh, I think really kind of catching catching steam. So um, yeah, the, the answer the answer is we don't know. You know, we can hypothesize and say, well, um, you know, it's it's doing things like controlling. You know, by by the way it's constructing its features, it's a little bit more robust to lighting changes, so it's able to control for this and that, and actually you know see this sort of evolution. But we don't we don't we don't know that. That's sort of our kind of best. Uh, best hunch at that at this point but that that's really sort of all it is 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 a hunch i can i can see how over time like this is you know it's going to provide more accurate actionable information about crops and but let's say you sign somebody up and they start their first passes when do they start seeing the benefit of the service i mean it's almost immediate right because so, so a they don't have to go to a bunch of different point solutions to kind of Try to keep an eye on things. I mean, we're talking about vast areas, right? I mean, these are like multi-thousand acre farms. Uh, and, you know, in the U.S., it's not really contiguous farms, right? You might have a couple of plots over here, a couple of fields <clears throat> over here, and then several fields 10 miles away because of how, you know, inheritance has worked out and because of subsidies and whatever. And so the fact that you can, in, in the you know, in the winter or if you have inclement weather outside, you can actually sit in, front of your computer or, or on your iPhone and keep an eye on your domain, if you will, and just sort of like flipping through stuff, uh, that's immediate value. And you don't necessarily need to have every flight to happen. I mean, again, th those flights are, again, I want you, it's a continuous system. And then you've got 13 high resolution captures because there's stuff in the, in the system already. Right. So there's a bunch of stuff like you can look at from your last season that allows you to make decisions for this season that you're in, right? So the value is almost immediate. And then I also want to emphasize a couple of more things. One, it's a decision support system for the farmer as far as how, which fields do I go to? So we do the prioritization. We say, here's the severe areas by field, by percentage, so that you know exactly. And then also we pinpoint where the problem is. So they don't just go to the field. They actually go to the top, you know, on, on you know, they just, they're staring at the problem. So we can yeah, actually decide that. That's a big it's deal. A, because it's exactly like what I was thinking about, you know, Geisinger's, you know, they've, they've developed a system that can show a, a cranial bleed and it'll move it up on the, what a radiologist should look at. So there's so many similarities of these technologies. It's just looking at different spaces. We flipped 80-20, right? Or maybe 90-10, which is instead of 80% of the time guessing or trying to figure out where your problems are and 20% of the time you're addressing your problems, we flip it, which is we take care of that. So you spend, I mean, we actually alert you. You don't even, I, I would say 5-95, right? <laughs> we tell you where the exact problems are. So 95% of the time you're addressing issues. And then the second thing with regards to the collaboration that happens between farmer and all of the people that are around the farmer, the retailer, the sprayer company, the irrigation company, the seed company, the, you know, that become on that, if they give access, 
to, to their fields, then they can actually do it remotely. So we're talking now teleagronomy. Right. That was going to be one of my next things is how do you, how does this dovetail with, you know, all this, what, what is it, precision ag technology that's out there? And how do you, are, are you working with those companies to say, integrate this information and yeah, the way that we have built the, the the product and the insights, it can we can populate. We have like API systems with John Deere and you know uh, Fieldview Climate and a bunch, a whole host of others. Uh, we believe that that insights and data should be uh, democratized and free. Not free necessarily that we don't want to make money, but from a standpoint of where you need to consume it. So it could be mobile and it, you can consume it on our app. On Ag, on Ag MRI, it could be a widget inside of, you know, John Deere Operations Center. It could be a widget inside of uh, Climate Field View. Uh, the main issue is what is the preference of the farmer? Where do they, I mean, wherever that they are consuming their stuff and they want to, you know, get these insights, we're happy to kind of pipe it over there. Um, so this collaboration, think about like, as, as, you know, as I sort of think about the future, it's... Um, it's better data. I mean, I think that's, you know, Jennifer hit it right on, on, the, on the nail, which is you got, you got to increase the trust in that that trust translates to lower costs, higher yield, less headache, better lifestyle. Because farmers in that, in that pre-planting phase all the way to harvest, to planting for the next year, it's a pretty anxious time. Right. Right. So imagine that you're actually, this is a, also a lifestyle improvement because now you feel a lot more in control versus guessing versus somebody else coming and telling you stuff versus, you know, I don't know, there's always some sort of a disease that's, you know, a runaway uh, yeah. versus it's surprising you. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know, like, if it's in the next county and if you can take some preventive measures? You know, you can be in, in, a, in a better situation. So the old saying of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Unfortunately, people don't pay for prevention. They pay for cure. Right. <laughs> right? And I think that's well, where that's where I think that whole mindset is shifting. Right. Well, it's interesting because we are trying to shift healthcare towards away from only treating somebody when they're sick and actually managing them when they're, you know, to keep them healthy is more valuable. Um, so. I mean, I have two sorts of questions, you know, how do you look at yourselves versus other people in the field that are making these, you know, making a lot of claims? Because I've seen things around carbon sequestration and so forth. And I feel like and then the, you know, sort of a, a dovetailing question is. I feel like there's so much more that you could do with this rather than I know the application that you're looking at, but the possibilities around commodities and, you know, all those sorts of capitalists. I can't help myself. I'm thinking about, you know, but there are so many other areas. What what could or those other areas be that this is applicable to? And and again, how do, how do you compare to other people in the field? Not not trying to pull anybody down or raise anybody up, but just as a as a sort of a thought process. You know, we're the best and everybody else is just like that. <laughs> 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 no. uh, I should have asked Jennifer that question now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, not from not from the boastful entrepreneur, right? Um, 
Very fair question. So I think it's really a question of approach, right? From day one, we've invested in data science and 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 cutting edge science, and and literally we're starting to com- to market this year, five years after starting the company. This is the year that we're going to actually spend money on marketing and sales. Why? Because it, it's damn hard. I mean, Jennifer just explained it. It's really, really hard to get to a level that then you can, with a straight face, tell people that this is not vaporware, right? that this, is actually, this actually works. In comparison to others, you know, look, carbon sequestration, at the core of it, what does it entail? You have to measure. So you have to trust the measurements that you're making pre certain practices, you have to verify, right? And you have to certify, and then you have to pay people, right? It's, that is the the certification process, the verification process is the hardest. And who has the most granular information in the world? Nobody has invested as much money as we have in really, really granular, really, really high cadence, like mold, you know, 13 times a season, but then there's a bunch of other things that is like every five minutes, weather, you know, right? precipitation. And, and so when you look at it that way and you say, okay, if you're thinking about carbon sequestration, if you're thinking about actually helping the climate situation, agriculture and forestry, agriculture is 25% of the solution, 25% of the problem, and then also 25% of the solution. And forestry is 17%, 17, 18%, depending whose numbers you're, you're talking about. If you take those two together, then Intellinaire, like everybody should be talking to Intellinaire about our technology. Everybody, everybody that's interested. Right. And all these, I see all these, and then as I said, we're just starting to kind of talk about and start boasting about our, our stuff. But you think about, you know, FedEx spending $200 million buying carbon offsets in the future. And then who's going to measure it? Who's going to verify it? Who's going to certify it? Who's going to make sure that that farmer gets paid? These are challenging things that have to be solved. But at the core of it, we've got a solution. Now, somebody else can take that solution or maybe we, we will do it and then monetize it. But ultimately, it's not through hand-waving and PowerPoint presentations. It's really about science. You have to measure it, right? You have to say, I actually sequestered X many gigatons of carbon. And here's the measurement before, here's the measurement after, right? And here's what the farmer did, and he deserves this, this check, okay? And, and so I think on that front, we like our chances. With regards to some other people, I mean, look, some people look at this thing primarily as imagery business. We've never looked at it as imagery business. We've always looked at it as a as an as a you know crop intelligence business. You what you're trying to do is you're trying to use science and whatever and the most the highest fidelity data that you can get your hands on to provide real solutions. To provide real take it to the bank ROIs to the farmer, but not only to the farmer, but also everybody else that's involved. You mentioned commodity trading, you mentioned, you know. Would it behoove the fi- you know the people that provide uh, working capital to farmers to say, hey, you know, it would be good. It's sort of like the progressive insurance thing. You know, if you right. say yes to this this gadget inside of your 
on your CAN bus where I can measure how, how you're driving, I'm willing to give you a 20% discount. We're going towards that. So the most advanced of like we were talking to Wells Fargo and other companies, they're starting to think that because I mean, that, that, that's a big asset. I mean, you're giving working capital to people that if they're not data driven, that might cost them more insurance. Right. You know, one of the, one of the things that I learned in year two was there was a massive weather problem in Iowa and, and I went to this farmer's shop and there was like five, five drones, different types of drones. And I, I walked by, I said, what, what are these drones for? He goes, oh yeah, when, when weather hits, my brother takes that one, I take that one, my cousin takes that one, and our two field hands take these two. And we all jump into our trucks and we, we drive out to the fields. And for the whole day, we survey. We fly the, fly the drone, take imagery, bring it back, take it out, put it, out, you know, put it in, into the system. And think about that level of thing, level of detail that they have to go through just to negotiate with the insurance adjuster what they need to get paid on right. the crop insurance front. Now, that's one way of doing it. Now, imagine the way that we can do it, which is both the insurance provider and the farmer are subscriber to our system. We actually have algorithms that, that tell you exactly by percentage what the damage was. So there is no pissing contest between, oh, look at my thing, look at my video, look at my this. So it's, you know, what I find is interesting is I actually, I was talking to somebody at another venture fund earlier today and I was trying, I was saying to them, I'm like, you know, once you datafy something, the potential business model shifts are phenomenal. You just have to imagine them. And and the, uh, and now you got to bring other people along with you, which is half the problem. I, I but... want to do it for the farmers, right? I mean, I, I some farmers say, "What are you going to do with my data?" I go, "You know what? I want to pay you for your data." And they're like, "What?" I go, "Yeah, you know, if you and I get into business where your data now matters because you're running your farm better, you should get a better, you know, rate. You should get a better insurance rate. You could you should get better yield. You should get better everything, right?" That data has value, and I and I want to pay you. Because so you can turn it around, you can use it to create better seeds, better products. Because you could do, you know, a lot of there's obviously a ton of research that's done on the labs or on the, you know, the um, the farms that are, you know, being used to develop these these other products. Um, but then they have to go out and live in the real world, and you know, your question is, well, you know, how 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 well is this product going to work on my field, given all the things. You know, what if they didn't have my type of soil or my type of weather? What if it you know rains more or less this season? And now you have, you know, acres and acres and acres. You have you know, entire states of data that you can actually look to see how well did these different combinations uh, perform and have you know more than just you know here's a really you know confined you know experiment that was run. How did it actually fare out in the real world? Because maybe it's also it's you know when it's very effective, but it has to be used a certain way. And you find that people aren't using it in a certain way. Well, if I make these changes, can I get better yield? And I think that's you know that's where having you know the, the data coming in just opens up so many different possibilities. And just one more so, thing to add, uh, just relevant to this thing is imagine that USDA has thousands of people that call and get survey data. They call a farmer that has let's say we this is a point in case, like, like a real, real live thing. 
farmer has 43 fields. He reports on one field and extrapolates. And that's how USDA for the most part gets their estimations of, um, you know, they use some satellite stuff as well, but you, can you imagine, right? It's $8 billion a year of, of guarantees. And I don't know how much, but there's, I'm sure there's hundreds of millions of dollars of fraud that happens where the farmer reports something that didn't really happen. And then now they have to get the, you know, federal farm insurance. So, so there's, what I'm saying is that, you know, the U.S. government should scan and get all the data and just give it to people like us and do the data crunching, right? It would save tens of billions of dollars of taxpayer funds, like literally. Because yeah. right now we're doing the cap, paying for the capture. We're doing all the analysis. We're doing the productization. We're doing the, can you imagine? Like that's, that's I think, where we need to get to. So let's jump back to the to the technology for a second. So where do you see this going? Because I just, you know, every time I, I try to keep up with this, I'm barely able to like, it's moving almost too fast in a certain sense, right? So where do you see this going from a technological perspective? Is, is it resolution? Is it analytics? Is it predictive power? Is it all of the above. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, if you were giving a visionary talk about where this is going in the future, where, how would you frame it? Um, I'll start and then Jennifer can probably be much more articulate about this. Well, look, we've, we've made our bets. We're 80, 80 cents on the dollar for us in R&D and engineering goes to AI. Okay. We're making huge, huge bets on that. We keep hiring more people. And maybe as an entrepreneur, I should stop that, but maybe not. Um, but that's the bet we're making on the on the capture side. I think there's two there's two very promising uh, developments that that we're betting on. One is I think the you know the ultra high resolution uh, imagery uh, below the atmosphere will continue going to these high flying drones. That, can, that don't need bathroom breaks, that don't need, you know, that they can fly 24 hours or maybe 48 hours a day. And they can capture eight, 10, maybe 12 times more of, of the data that we need. And so obviously the cost will come down. I think the, the sensor tech, there's many, many great companies, both defense related and non-defense related companies that are working on sensor technologies that will blow your mind. And we can get to hyperspectral imaging, which now for mm -hmm. disease, disease detection and stuff like that becomes really valuable. So that's on the sort of like the physics side of things, right? Flying sensors, you know, hyperspectral. Uh, but I think the most exciting part um, is post data capture. It's everything that Jennifer and Jennifer's team does. And I'll pass it to Jennifer to answer on that point. Uh, whatever I try to give academic talks, I, I try to capture the the minds of you know, the other the people in the computer vision and machine learning fields who might be doing stuff like self-driving cars or what have you, because there's so many opportunities to both make computer vision for agriculture better in the future, but I, I think right to benefit both the agriculture and the computer vision side. There are challenges because we're getting so much data, more data, more sensors, just more types of data. Uh, you know, right now you're you're going to run into this point where what if what if the information on on a single field is a terabyte? 
what, what do I do with, how do I, how do I process it? How do I extract all of the information? What kind of methods do I use? Uh, if I have hyperspectral imagery coming in all, all the time, and then I have all this equipment data and all this weather data, how do I make sense of all of that? And there's so many different avenues there uh, to, to explore. I think, uh, I, I hope people in, in the machine learning community get really excited about this and say that's, it, you know, it has huge implications for the agricultural industry, but it's a great domain for us to understand, to improve our understanding of, of computer vision. Uh, so I think, you know, as, as, as more and more data comes in, it just puts the, the burden on us to come up with methods that can handle this amount of data. How can I handle, you know, a, an image that's maybe 100,000 by 100,000 pixels 50 times during the season where I have hyperspectral data with all of this weather coming in? Uh, and I think that's a really exciting, uh, exciting piece. And then I think that I also prompts on the hardware side, uh, you see a lot of a lot of interest around the different chips and the different uh, edge devices right. that are used to process these. I think it just encourages more and more of that in the future. And so it's, uh, I hope I, you know, and I, I'm optimistic that I think a lot of these challenges, ag will start to be a preeminent domain in computer vision that people, uh, you know, it's 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 an area just like autonomous vehicles that people are really interested in because it it improves our understanding of, of these uh, methodologies uh, in addition to you know changing the world. Shalon, you can't eat an electric car. You can eat a corn. No, yeah, but I was, I mean, <laughs> I'm always thinking about there are techniques and approaches that you're learning and taking that we can learn from. I just don't know if anybody's cross-referencing cross the work or the papers that are being, you know, that are being written, which is, a, I'm sort of the geekoid who's trying to read, you know, obviously the title captures my attention, but, um, you know, reading all sorts of stuff because I know that it's a tool. It's, it doesn't matter what you're throwing it at, the tool will, with a few tweaks, might work well. So I'm trying to keep, absorb all this stuff and hence the the conversation, besides the fact that I think editing of, of crops or making trait changes in crops and then applying all the stuff that you guys are talking about. I mean, it is a combination. We're going to change the way the world is fed over time. Absolutely. Well, this was great. I, I look forward to staying in touch and, and hearing, you know, how the company evolves and, and, and Jen, how the technology evolves. Although I'm, I'm, I, I will probably always be struggling to keep up with everything that you're saying, but that's that's okay. That's that's part of my job and, and trying to understand what's happening and where it's going. So thanks very much for the time and look forward to hearing how this thing evolves in the future. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Harry. Terrific. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's show. We've made more than 50 episodes of Moneyball Medicine, and you can find them all at my website, glorikian.com, under the tab podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at hglorikian. If you like the show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and we'll be back soon with our next interview.